Good morning, everyone. I'll start again. It isn't snowing, Annie, is it? In fact, it's a glorious sunny day. Um, I thought I'd never get here, actually, because I was meant to um, preach this sermon on the 4th of March, and if you remember, it snowed. And so it was postponed to the 18th of March. I couldn't believe it when I got up because it was snowing. But here we are. This series, Steve has decided, would be um, a series of what the preacher of that particular week has a passion about. And uh, yeah, I certainly feel strongly about this particular subject in the world and not of the world. But it might not be quite as you think. Um, a couple of months ago, Graham's coined this phrase or recoined it. You know our slogan? Belong, believe, um, be changed. Yes, almost forgot it myself there. He said, belong, believe, pretend. I was really struck with that. And I want to be honest, this subject about being in the world, being a Christian in the world, isn't one that I found easy. In fact, it's one of the points about the Christian life that I've most found challenging. And that's why I want to talk about it. But before I do, we're going to look at the Word of God. We're going to read from John chapter 17. And Rachel's going to come and read it for us. Thank you, Rachel. John 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those who have given him. Now this is eternal life, that you may know that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I prayed for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture will be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that you may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Okay. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be the one as we are one. 
I in them and you in me. May they be brought to, the, to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory and the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me be in them and that I myself may be in them. Thank you very much, Rachel. It's confusing, isn't it? Jesus talking about being in the world and not in the world. First he says, I'm not of the world. Then he says, his disciples are not in the world. How could they not be in the world? He says, he wants to protect them. He wants them to be in the world. He's sending them in the world. It's confusing, isn't it? What does it all mean? And what do we mean by the world? Definition of the world. Well, a couple of months ago, when I was meant to speak, Pete, the week before, gave us a definition of what the world means in the Bible. And there are three meanings. Planet Earth, that's... Fair enough, isn't it? We think of the world, the whole world. We think of planet Earth and everything that's in it. We think it's the second meaning is non-Christians as opposed to the saints. And more about the saints in a minute. Opposed to people who aren't Christians. And ungodly actions, thoughts and deeds, etc. This is what the Bible means about worlds. The world. And we can ignore planet Earth for the moment. Well, we can't ignore planet Earth, I guess, really. But we, we don't need to worry about it. And Pete dealt with the last one. We're thinking about non-Christians who are opposed to the world. I want to think about that a bit more. I want to go a bit deeper. And going deeper, original languages are as confusing, it seemed at first, as... Um, as English. When I, I thought I should go into this a bit more, do a bit more research into what does it mean in the world, in the Bible, and I looked, I thought, oh, I'll do, see what the original languages said. And guess what? It's just as confusing as um, it seemed as in English. It didn't seem to be any different. The word that's used in the New Testament more than ever is cosmos. And uh, when we think of the cosmos, we think of the whole universe. That's how we use the word today. And it's used in different ways in the New Testament, but it has really a single uh, overriding meaning. In fact, confusingly, cosmos is used the way we use it. It talks in Philippines about the stars in the cosmos. So it is strange. Now look at this verse. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, he goes through airy places seeking rest and does not find it. Then he says, I return to the house I left. When it arrives, I find the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. This is Jesus speaking. And you're wondering, what on earth has all this got to do with the world? And the answer is, in that very last word there, order, is cosmio. It's the verb. Isn't that strange that the world should have a verb, 
as well as a noun. And it means to put in order. Order. That's how they thought. When they thought of the world, they thought of the order of things. God is a God of order, isn't he? When he created the world, what we Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. And what does God do? He brings order out of, out of chaos. He creates, creates all life and the structure of the world we know. He brings order. But in Genesis 3, it all goes wrong. A new order is created. Adam and Eve are deceived by Satan, and he creates a new world order, to use that phrase. He creates a new world, an order that is against God. Jesus said, Satan is the prince of this world. Satan is the prince of this world. When Jesus was tempted, Satan says to him, I will offer you all the kingdoms of the world, everything that's against God, I'll offer it to you. But God loves the world. It may be against God, it may be in opposition to him, but God loves it because it's people. Satan's kingdom is people. Now this may seem strange to you, um, that Satan has a kingdom, because, you know, think about it. What has Richard Dawkins got in common with ISIS? Let alone, let alone the mo average Englishman who couldn't care less about God and doesn't think about him. And the Antichrist, well, many Antichrists, it says in John, have gone into the world. But God loves the people in the world. He cares about them. He's for them. So we're not of this world. Everyone who's a believer has been transformed. It says in Ephesians that you were darkness, now you've come into the light. That's us, all of us who have trusted in Jesus. We've been transferred. We've, trans we've emigrated from Satan's kingdom, if you like, into the kingdom of God. We're protected by God. We're the saints and the holy ones. It's a pity that holy and saint, sanctifying saints are different words in English because they, they mean the same ones. We've been changed. We are being changed. And we will be changed when we finally see God. We have been sanctified or holified. Except holified is such a horrible word. We'd never want to use it. We are being changed Jesus wants to sanctify us. He wants to make us holy. And one of the ways he does it, it says in John 17, is through his word. Okay. Jesus is sending us into the world. Remember that in John 17? I'm sending them into the world, he says. And then Jesus prays for those who will follow, who will believe in his name, i.e. us, those of us who believe. Jesus is sending us into the world. We are physically amongst the people of the world. We're here, aren't we? On planet Earth, we're living in the community, we're living amongst people who aren't Christians. We're physically here. So we're on a mission. We're on a mission from God 
to actually represent him in the world. And the big question is, how do we do it? This is the one that really interests me. How do we do it? It's really worth thinking about. The rest of this talk, I really want to be practical uh, and to really focus on how do we do it. Working it out. Jesus doesn't tell us. It's that interesting. He says, we're sent into the world. Paul does this as well. He lays out ways that we should live and then doesn't tell us how to do it. Yeah, this is the really difference between Christianity and Judaism. Because in Judaism, there are millions of laws. And if you're a good Jew, you have the hedge about the law. So you add law after law after law to make sure you can never transgress it. But Jesus doesn't tell us how to do it. You work it out. And I'm going to introduce you to a model, though, to help us really think about how we might do it. A model. When you think about models, you know, you think about an architect building a building and he's designed it, and often they build a model, don't they? Actually put something together. Or if someone's building uh, a plane, they will make a model and wind test it. And there are other models that you don't physically make, but they're just like a map or a signpost, a way of thinking which helps us um, work out how we might do something. And we're going to share one with you. There are several models, not just the one I'm going to share. It, you don't have to agree with everything. I don't mind. If you don't agree with everything I'm going to say in the next few minutes, what you do need to do, if you're a Christian, is work out how you're going to work in the Lord, for the Lord in the world. Now, the one I'm going to talk about is something called concentric circles of concern. I don't know if anybody else has ever come across this. Um, this is thanks to Jenny, who introduced it to me some months ago. Concentric circles of concern. There's this one as well, fruitfulness on the front line. A lot more should have... Lots of you have done this. This is equally good, but I'm going to talk about this one anyway. So, we... We'll have the first slide. This is it. Ah, can you see that at the back? Good, good. And we're going to start with the first one. It may seem strange we're going to be in the world looking for Jesus, representing him, and the first thing we talk about is ourselves. But actually, it's not strange at all. Because if we're going to be effective for God then we're going to have to build a great relationship with God and we're going to have to keep it going. It's, I know we say it every week. We need to keep going in terms of prayer, Bible study, coming to teaching in church on a Sunday morning, worshipping God, going to small groups, all these great things. We need to keep them going. But there's an additional thing as well. If we're going to be in the world but not of the world. I have a friend um, who seems to be unable to escape from Christians. 
is great, isn't it? But, and he knows me, and he knows that I go to church, and the strange thing is that if I happen to just mention something very innocuous, like um, a friend of mine at church said the other day, immediately he clams up. And there's this barrier, you can see it, in his eyes. He, He doesn't want to know. And we found out why. Because he went to South Africa with some relatives of his who were Christians. And he was appalled how they treated the servants, the blacks. And in South Africa, if you've ever known anything about South Africa, it's very common for white people to have African servants. He was appalled at how they were treated, at the racists. And he's resistant. Paul says, above all, live a life that's worthy of the gospel. We need to live that life. That's why we need to really focus on our relationship with God and never let it go. Um, have, I don't know if you've ever had it said to you. I've certainly had it to me in the past. Martin, I thought you were a Christian. I said something I've done. Martin, I thought you were a Christian. I think I wanted the ground to swallow me up at that It was so biting. Um, somebody else said, Martin, I thought you were one of the Plymouth Brethren. And that didn't bother me at all. <laughs> but you were a Christian, Martin. That hurt. Peter says, though they run you down, live such good lives amongst the pagans that they will see your works and glorify God. Not not us. Glorify God. We are going to be in the world living for Christ and we have to watch how we live. Next one's family. I used to go to a church called Harlington Baptist Church. Harlington is a pretty nondescript place, actually. But it does have one interesting feature, that if you drive down the high street towards the south, you can sometimes see a fully laden 747 about to take off, which was quite amazing. But I was a member of this church for several years, and one Sunday night, we're in the service, it's pleasant summer's night, and we have a visiting preacher. He's very well known to us because he's the minister two miles down the road of another Baptist church. And he's getting into his, his stride of his sermon. He's saying, some of you, and perhaps all of you, have someone you really know who you just long to become a Christian. You've probably been praying them for them for the years. And you probably don't say anything about God to them at all. They're so resistant. And I have to tell you that I have never sat in a congregation before or since where everybody was totally focused on what he's saying. You could hear a pin drop. He stopped and said, 
you're all looking at me. Yeah, we were, because it really touched us all. The sermon in the end was a disappointment, I have to say. Something about doing this for the glory of God, and God would see it. But we just, for that moment, we thought maybe there's going to be some magic bullet which will reach where it really itches in our Christian life. And there isn't one, really. But there are two things, at least two things that we can do. And the first is we can pray. We can keep on praying and go on praying. It's hard, isn't it? I've been praying for someone for 20 years or more. And you think, Lord, how long is it going to be? When will you act? And yet Jesus told this parable. He said, he said to his disciples, I want, you, know, you should always pray and never give up. And he talks about an unjust judge who doesn't care about God and he doesn't care about man, but he gives in because someone nags him forever. And he says, if that's what an unjust person does, how much more will God answer your prayers? We should keep praying. It's really powerful. On and on. And the second thing we can do, all do, is we can love them. We could care for them. This book says uh, that love is meeting people's needs. And I was dubious about that at first. Because I thought, are you trying to tell me that we should create some kind of dependency relationship? That we're always just meeting somebody else's needs and caring. But he doesn't mean that. He means that we should really build a relationship with people. We should love them, care for them, share with them, share the good times and the bad times, and build a loving relation that goes on and on. We can do that. Bringing people to Christ is the work of the Holy Spirit, but we can really love and care for people. For some of us, family can be a really difficult place. There may be relationship breakdowns in the past and other hurts and things. We can try and build bridges with people, but in the end, sometimes, we can't go beyond what we can do. As far as it depends upon you, says the Bible, be at peace with all men. So let's go on. Friends, I hope you've got friends. I'm sure you have. We've all got friends. And we need, again, we need to build relationships up, especially with those who aren't Christians. Um, I think for some people, they have no non-Christian friends. Now, it, if you're in a Christian family, it's really easy to form a bubble, a sort of Christian bubble surrounds you, and you don't actually sort of relate to anyone. And I think it's really important that we do have friends who aren't Christians. All the evidence suggests that that's how people become Christians, through friends. 
I went on a management course once on how to influence people. I only remember one thing. Well, it was a management course because, you know, it was how to influence people, i.e. your staff, to do what you want them to do. But I only remember one thing out of this course, which is that if you want to influence people, you have to be open to being influenced. Interesting. Now, the church I grew up with um, wanted to create a barrier. You should withdraw from the world. You should never go down the pub, go to the cinema, smoke, drink. And the worst thing they hated was dance halls, which was strange because there weren't any dance halls. They did have discotheques <laughs> and clubs. A separation. And I've never accepted that. And that's why I've worked so hard to try and work out what the world is. How do we reach people if we don't have any friends who aren't Christians? How do we relate to them? There's all kinds of ways. Yes, we can be influenced, but if we're still staying with the self-module, if we're still focused on God, if we're still living with him and growing with him, then we will be protected. I will protect them, Jesus says. Jesus prays for their protection. But we need to have friends who aren't Christians so that we can be sort and light to them, so that we can witness to them. And the other point of being under influence is really that we need to listen. James said, be quick to listen and slow to speak. It is such good advice. Such good advice. So often we want to talk. We think that's the answer to talk. But often it's listening. It is incredibly powerful, the art of listening. And it's actually hard work to listen properly. Okay, let's move on. And then there's the neighbours and colleagues. And how do we work with them? How do we do it? Well, it's exactly the same. This gets repetitive. We can build outwards, slowly by slowly. Now, you don't need to wait. Um, so you've moved all through the circles before you do it. You can make someone who's complete acquaintance, and then you can be witnessing to the Lord and speaking to them and being sought and light in their place. But this is just to help us think through how we might live. Um, I've discovered that dog walkers are very friendly. Um, I haven't got a dog, but I do like walking. And as I walk around the town, I find that they're good to talk to. Good to talk to. People just chatting friendly. And you can begin to build relationships. Person X is the person you meet on the train or just serendipitously come to see them. Build relationships. Love people. Pray for them. I want you to think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. Jesus preached to great crowds, didn't he? But as you read through the Gospels, you'll find story after story 
about how he dealt with individuals on an individual basis. The first miracle he did was for his mother when there was a social disaster. The last thing he did on the cross was to look after his mother. It is said by some, I've read, that Jesus didn't care about his family because he wouldn't let them stop him. They wouldn't let them stop him serving God. And he was absolute about that. But Jesus cared about his family. His own brother, James, becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem, a major figure in the early church after Jesus' resurrection. And he gets friends. He has lots of friends, Jesus. He... He builds the disciples, he builds them up, he trains them. He has Martha and Mary and Lazarus and Susanna and Joanna who support him. He has loads of friends. Simon the leper who he goes to to dinner with. He's always going to dinner with people. (laughs) With the sinners and the publicans causing outrage. He's always looking at people. When Nicodemus comes by him to see him by night, he doesn't say, I've got a big preaching schedule tomorrow. No time for you. When Jesus goes to the well at Sychar, when he has to go through Samaria, he spends an inordinate amount of time talking to a woman who's a social outcast. When he goes through Jericho, He deliberately picks Zacchaeus. He's always, we could go on, he's always reacting and dealing with individuals. And that's a pattern for us. That God wants us, as we're in the world, to find those people who he's sending to us to relate to, to love, to care for, to pray for. My last point is, a couple of months ago, Greg came, Greg's not here this morning, is he? But Greg came up and shared. I think he was on the LINK program. And he was trying to get someone to let him, his couple, I believe, pray for him. And they would not have it. And I don't know if you remember, he said God spoke to him in the toilet and said, I want you to pray for them. That's your role. I want you to pray for them. There are individuals we know who we can pray for, who we can show care, who we can share salt and light and hopefully actually speak the gospel. I've um, taken to a notebook and writing down key people I meet and start to pray for them. Really focus so I should keep going. And may God help all of us to really live in the world and to share his good news, to be salt and light, and to bring glory to him. Amen.